Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello, my name is Grzegorz Stets, and I'm an EU China analyst at Merrick's. Welcome to the first part of our series on the EU's position in the Indo Pacific. In this three part series, following the release of the EU's Indo Pacific strategy, we will investigate what the EU wants to do and what can it do in the region and how this impacts the bloc's relations with China. To open this series, we're talking today with Mr. Gunnar Wigand, Managing Director for Asia and the Pacific at the European External Action Service, who is at the very forefront of the EU's engagement with the Indo Pacific region and China. Mr. Wigand, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. We're here to talk about the EU's Indo-Pacific strategy, and it appears to be primarily focused on economic security and at the same time intensifying the pre-existing efforts in the region. So supporting sustainable development, proliferating EU standards, boosting political exchanges. So what is actually the new contribution uh, through this strategy that the EU is bringing to the table and to the region? Well, you don't reinvent the... uh world, you don't reinvent the assets which everybody brings uh, to shaping the world. It is a strategy for cooperation in the Indo-Pacific. The EU cooperates with many of the partners in the region. It is the first time ever that we have the look at the entire region. We have our China policy, we have our ASEAN policy, we have our Japan policy, we have our India policy, we have our Pacific Islands policy, and so on. But for the first time, we look at the entire region, from the east coast of Africa to the Pacific Islands, and look in a comprehensive way at key areas which can make a difference in order to promote uh, cooperation between partners. and have therefore a stable economic development, have therefore conducive environment to tackle together regional and global challenges and to work, of course, uh, so that the European Union uh, in this interaction would um, provide its very specific uh, ways of going about reducing tensions and promoting that spirit of cooperation. And yes, we do work in traditional fields of strong EU competence, such as trade negotiations, promotion of international standards, but also in new areas like building more resilient and sustainable global value chains and diversifying such trade and economic relations. But the um, traditional areas of strong EU engagement with the economically diverse but overall very dynamic partners in the region is complemented by new areas which are linked to the greening of our economies and there is a high um, necessity to work much more with partners in the region on this, concluding inter-alia green alliances and partnerships to fight in much more ambitious and effective ways against climate change, environmental degradation, working on ocean governance, working on fisheries management. And the other key priority of 
European Union policy making, which is the digital side and uh, creating digital partnerships with Indo-Pacific partners, including with several of them, concluding relevant uh, agreements. And all of this is linked to our wider connectivity agenda with the global gateways, very specific policy proposals coming out very soon and working with partners also on much closer research and innovation uh, cooperation. To this set of policy areas, we have added under the impact of the pandemic, uh, the cooperation, new and significantly reinforced cooperation on healthcare systems and pandemic preparedness, uh, also research in the area of communicable diseases and in the field, which is probably the most interesting field for many think tanks uh, in security and defense, which uh, traditionally uh, the European Union has not worked so much in this part of the world. And we want to, of course, promote an open and rules-based regional security architecture, including secure sea lines of communication, capacity building, and also uh, seek uh, uh, some form of enhanced naval presence by EU member states in the Indo-Pacific. Those are, of course, all very important themes and very important topics that are tackled uh, by the Indo-Pacific strategy. But could you share with us if there are any specific projects that might be in the pipeline that are directly connected to the EU's Indo-Pacific strategy, the new projects that we would be seeing over the coming months or years? Well, we do not believe that we have first and foremost to think in terms of classic development projects. But when we enter into connectivity partnerships, uh, as we have done uh, recently with India or with Japan, this is of course also including work on projects where we could work in parallel in promoting a higher degree of connectivity. Uh, to give you another example, when we talk about research cooperation, uh, that means, of course, money goes into research projects where our research organizations work much closer together. But I give you also another example that um, on 7 October, Executive Vice President of the Commission, Franz Timmermans, participates in the first uh, major EU Indo-Pacific event, which is a high-level conference on climate change between the EU and Indo-Pacific states uh, to prepare the preparations, to, to discuss the preparations for the UN Climate Conference COP26 in Glasgow, involving not ministers only, but many uh, heads of state and government uh, of various parts of this very wide area. And this is also an important uh, effort. It's not a project in itself, but it is a uh, mobilization of partners who are like-minded when it comes to the climate change challenge and to specifically work on improved cooperation to achieve a higher and more effective degree of mitigation, adaptation and also finance of the necessary steps. And you mentioned the question of like-mindedness and in that aspect, the EU-China cooperation in the region well, let's just say that there might be some questions related to that, simply because some of the EU's interests that are brought up uh, in the Indo-Pacific strategy may not necessarily align with China's interests in the region. So what is the EU's vision for the EU-China interaction in the Indo-Pacific? Well, let me be clear when we talk about cooperation, 
that means we are not wanting to contribute to confrontation and that's also why the policy line which the EU has taken as confirmed in the council conclusions so by all of our member states on 16 April of this year and further spelled out in considerable detail by the joint communication of the European Commission and the High Representative on 16 September of this year is inclusive. So we do express our readiness to work with all partners in the region from the East Africa shores to the Pacific Island states, uh, from China to New Zealand. This increased engagement in the uh, Indo-Pacific aims at maintaining a free and open Pacific for all while building strong and lasting partnerships. And of course, mm, it will be the most um, comprehensive and ambitious form of cooperation with those who have um, a similar approach as we have to that free and open Indo-Pacific. And several of these partners have also Indo-Pacific approaches of their own. And we mention these uh, partners, such as uh, ASEAN with its outlook, such as Australia, India, Japan, New Zealand, Korea, the United Kingdom and the United States. Having said this, we will equally work together with other partners in the region, and there are many, and it's the majority, who do not have an Indo-Pacific policy, and where we can address together common challenges, upholding international law, defending values and principles, which we are committed to. So that may be encompassing more policy areas with some than with others, but we can uh, effectively work on fisheries management, effectively work against climate change, effectively work for better ocean governance, only by working with everybody to mention a few of the key areas. In this context, let me ask you to elaborate a little bit more about the approach taken towards China. So it seems to be linked with the idea of compartmentalization of the EU-China relations and with the idea of the multifaceted approach where the relationship between the EU and China is seen as at the same time cooperation, competition and rivalry. But is this approach really feasible in regard to Indo-Pacific? And here I'm referring, for example, to Germany's attempt to arrange for its frigate Bayern to dock in Shanghai, thereby making the German military mission in the region to look less aimed at China. The German request was denied by Beijing, showing that China doesn't really want to be that flexible. So can compartmentalization and multifaceted approach really be effective in relations with China in the Indo-Pacific? Well, let us be clear. I do not believe that the um, People's Republic of China will become a fan of Indo-Pacific policy approaches because they uh, interpret such Indo-Pacific uh, policies as a way of uh, Western countries to contain China. But our strategy clearly reaffirms that the EU will continue its multifaceted engagement with China. As you also said, uh, by the way, we do not write that we uh, want to compartmentalize, we say multifaceted engagement, that means to engage bilaterally to promote solutions to common challenges, uh, that we cooperate on issues of common interest and that we engage China also multilaterally 
to play a constructive role in this region. This in no way diminishes our uh, intent and possibility to work with international partners who share similar concerns as we have and that we would uh, protect and promote essential interests of the EU. We have, of course, fundamental disagreements with China. They are publicly well known. And um, we also express clearly in this uh, communication that uh, there are uh, important security challenges to such EU interests, notably increasing tensions in regional hotspots, such as in the South China Sea, through which 40% of our trade goes, or in the Taiwan Strait, or also hybrid threats, including on cybersecurity. So we should not blend out uh, such important issues, which we will continue to address in our bilateral consultations on security and defense, uh, in our uh, human rights uh, dialogue, in the strategic dialogue at higher levels, Uh, or at other ministerial or summit levels with China. But um, we will, of course, be very um, conscious of um, these dimensions also when going about our overall regional approach. It's not that with all partners these kind of um, difficulties would disappear because we have an Indo-Pacific strategy. It is not that we would now, because of an Indo-Pacific strategy, not cooperate anymore with partners with whom we have such differences. I could mention a few other countries. But the key point is that um, the EU, for the first time, has expressed in very clear ways uh, that it looks at the region in its entirety and that the EU is um, having interests to defend across this region uh, that we believe firmly in multilateral Uh, solution in rules-based international order solutions that we intend to be active with all partners in the region and that we need to connect the dots between different policy areas and cannot work just in different silos. There is something in, we believe, in the quite numerous areas of action for each and every partner in this very wide region. And we will therefore enter into consultations with each and every partner on how best to pursue the policy aims as described in this communication by the European Union, which we believe will also find the support of our heads of state and government in the near future. Talking about the cooperation with each and every partner, I would like to ask you about Taiwan. So cooperation with Taiwan was mentioned in the Indo-Pacific strategy, but at the same time, the strategy came at the time where we have seen scarce support from other member states for Lithuania, which is facing high tensions in its relationship with the PRC over its engagement with Taiwan. Also recently, the High Representative Borrell raised the topic of EU-Taiwan relations during his dialogue with Foreign Minister Wang Yi. So what is the EU's position on its relationship with Taiwan and what are the opportunities for developing this relationship under the Indo-Pacific strategy? The EU Indo-Pacific strategy is offering an excellent platform to broaden exchanges and cooperation and uh, Taiwan has been mentioned uh, in this uh, communication. In recent years, the exchanges in cooperation with Taiwan has intensified and cover a broad range of areas from 
trade and economic issues to industrial and digital policies to also human rights, disinformation, connectivity. One should not overlook that the EU is the largest foreign investor uh, in Taiwan, accounting for more than a quarter of all foreign direct investment on the island and is attracting now increasingly also Taiwanese investors in the European Union. But it is also clear that uh, the EU's engagement with Taiwan takes place within the framework of the EU's One China policy. And within this policy, the EU recognizes the um, government in Beijing as the sole government of China. At the same time, we have an interest to maintain the status quo in the Taiwan Strait and Taiwan's democracy, open society and market economy. And um, I do believe that we do have scope, and this is uh, referred to in this communication, to further deepen ties, exchanges and cooperation in many areas. And as an example, on the 14th of October, the EU and Taiwan hold the second European Investment Forum with a strong participation of EU officials and policymakers, and in particular, of course, of uh, investors or potential investors. This helps boosting EU visibility in Taiwan and showcase the EU as an attractive investment uh, destination. Talking about engagement also with other partners in the region, uh, we have to take a look at the AUKUS announcement as well and Australia's cancellation of military equipment procurement contract uh, with France, which shows the importance of security considerations in the region. And naturally, the Indo-Pacific strategy, as you mentioned before, has a dedicated section on security and defense issues. But the commitments made under those clothes seem to be very carefully worded, if I may, to, to avoid taking a strong stance. So can the EU be an attractive partner for the Indo-Pacific like-minded partners without providing security guarantees or without the will to take a strong stance in regional disputes? Well, the EU cannot provide security guarantees. Look into the European Union Treaty surfaces. Uh, we are not a security alliance. The EU, however, has a steadily growing uh, security and defense dimension. But we are not a defense uh, treaty organization. We have another one in the city. Having said this, our sovereign member states all have their armed forces and have their international interests in the field of security and defense. And in the region we are talking about, this is very obvious for France having uh, territories, having military bases and having 2 million citizens in this region. And through France, uh, the EU is therefore also a resident actor in the Indo-Pacific with concrete interests and concrete territories and concrete exclusive economic zones around those territories. The uh, recent uh, development you are referring to has been a surprise for almost everybody. The fact that uh, there was no previous conversation about what actually then took place when uh, one contract was ended and another contract was entered into is uh, something which, of course, the um, French side it was um, rightfully um, 
not only surprised but also disappointed and angry about and has shared this within the EU and the EU fully backed France. Friends and allies need to talk to each other and um, this talk has taken place over the last few weeks notably uh, with the United States, uh, President Macron with President Biden, uh, High Representative Borrell with um, Secretary Blinken who has just been to Paris with a national security advisor and the uh, situation has been clarified to the degree it could be uh, clarified. So I think it is in no one's interest that um, like-minded um, democracies and market economies uh, who have a security interests in the region would be uh, divided. Uh, the EU and the US are unique partners in addressing global and also many regional challenges and in um, pursuing closer cooperation based on shared values. The um, United States uh, is still the closest like-minded partner and uh, we are working on uh, improving also the situation with regard to Australia um, after very uh, open exchanges have uh, taken uh, place and partially still uh, continue. Uh, we have seen recent positive developments in terms of EU-US relations such as the lifting of travel restrictions, uh, Croatia's access to the visa waiver program, the launch of the joint COVID manufacturing and supply chain task force, and most importantly, perhaps the recent holding of the Trade and Technology Council, which is a new uh, ministerial level interaction between the EU and US uh, to respond to uh, manifold technological and industrial uh, challenges. So to summarize, It is a serious development and it has led to serious um, reactions and we are determined, however, to work together with the partners both in the region and with the uh, US to overcome this chapter, but it has left a bitter taste and is not how allies should deal with each other. Talking about this transatlantic aspect of the Indo-Pacific uh, strategy, of the Indo-Pacific relations and the AUKUS-related tensions, that came right after the shock of Afghanistan withdrawal and it seemed to intensify the discussion about the EU's strategic autonomy. And we also saw that in the change to the agenda of the informal dinner of the European Council hosted by Slovenian presidency. So those developments that you mentioned, uh, as you said, they don't fundamentally change the assessment of the transatlantic relationship and the idea of pursuing the non-equidistant relationship, I would understand. But What are the lessons for the EU from this last month vis-à-vis -vis US and China? The main lesson is very simple to summarize. It is high time that the EU collectively gets much more engaged in and conscious of the developments in this very wide region, which is of key relevance for the prosperity and also for the stability of our own societies. I think that AUKUS deal has been one of those uh, determining factors uh, to bring this message home. The uh, developments in Afghanistan have been in the making for quite some time, even though the 
final stage of the troop withdrawal and was quite uh, chaotic. Um, but those of us who we have to deal with Afghanistan every day knew what was coming. The reorientation of the United States in terms of focusing on its competition uh, or strategic competition, I guess, as it is said in Washington, while also engaging with the Chinese leadership, as we see uh, these days, uh, whether it is from the USDR or whether it is from the presidential level or whether it is from the uh, national security advisor level, we see an intensification of US-China a dialogue, uh, something which we have always believed in, that it is necessary to talk with each other and to find as many areas of cooperation engagement as possible while being firm on key principles and defending one's own interests. So uh, the uh, overall lesson, I think, um, which should be drawn from uh, these recent events is that Europe cannot afford to just focus on its own national or European uh, debates, uh, cannot just pursue its interests and ensure its security in its immediate neighborhood. Europe has to have a global outlook and no better opportunity than proving that we are doing this beyond including, but beyond the trade investment area, only where Europe is a recognized key player in the world is now and the Indo-Pacific is a good occasion to prove that this is indeed now understood and pursued by our uh, political security and not only business decision makers. Mr. Wigan, thank you very much. Thank you for your time and for this interesting conversation. Thank you very much. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org. <laughs>